Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast, officially sponsored by Running Aces Casino and Racetrack. I am your host, Steve Fredland, and today is the 100th episode of Rec Poker. What? <laughs> and, and none of this was planned, but it worked out that today I have a number of huge announcements that I am going to get to later. Sort of, sort of a, I guess it feels like a celebratory number 100, so that's kind of fun. But the focus today is that after a circuitous route through the back roads of GTO and exploitive play, I'm going to share my opening hand ranges by position that I have currently settled on for the first stage of a tournament. And I'm going to be submitting this to the pros that I know, and also I want your reactions. And then I want to incorporate those into the next episode and perhaps make some adjustments based on the reactions. So please uh, listen and get back to me by Wednesday, October 10th, if you want your thoughts incorporated into the next episode. Now, some of you feel sorry for me, I know, about how long it's been taking. Um, <laughs> you've told me that, man, I'm really sorry for the struggles you've had. But actually, uh, as a learner, I'm telling you that I have loved every second of this process. Uh, it's just the way that I'm wired. I have to get to the core fundamental concepts. I need an understanding of my overall paradigm before I can really start building on it with confidence. And I feel like I'm finally honing in on something that I'm going to be pretty comfortable with. So I'm feeling pretty good about those things. I've been using this opening range for about three weeks, and I've seen some really good success. Uh, I've had three straight weeks where I finished in the top two for Player of the Week at Running Aces. Now, this doesn't mean that I, I can give full credit to the opening ranges, but having this range has been incredibly freeing. Uh, I'm avoiding more difficult decisions early in tournaments. I'm making the preflop game much much easier. So now in, in tournaments that I play that are low buy and weekly tournaments, we reach the other phases of the tournament a bit quicker. So I only have a couple of hours to really utilize this range, but I definitely feel like I'm really saving mental energy to use later or uh, to use in those big post-flop situations. So I'm excited to share this today in part because of feedback from a fellow recreational player Alberto, who had sent me a couple of voice messages, uh, and he's wanting to see if there's any direct impact from all of this conceptual discussion that we've been having. So especially around GTO, just wondering, how do we actually use this? So uh, I want to play the uh, the latest uh, little snippet from Alberto. Yeah, it's just, I understand all that that you just mentioned. I mean, I understand how you're trying to framework a strategy. It's just that my way of thinking is, is a little different and so I don't know if by learning all this data I'm able to apply it in real game time decisions you know what I mean If even if the actual thing applies you know because I tend to be more of a reactive player to what's going on in that specific moment in that specific tournament and then decide based on that not based on an overall strategy like you're trying to build so I was just curious if your recent success is because you've been implementing a lot of this stuff in your game. Are you able to even do that, you know, while you're actually playing? All right. Thanks, Alberto. Now, Alberto is more of a field player, so it's easier for him to not give weight to these complex topics. But given how I'm wired and how I approach the game, I think it's imperative for me to have an overarching strategy and approach that I can lean into. So the discussion around GTO and exploitive has been critical for me in getting there. 
So I guess after all that, how would I classify my opening hand ranges for the first phase of a tournament? I would say that they are based mostly on research around historic EV of other players, informed by GTO perspectives, geared toward a low volatility first stage, adding a hint of my comfort level with different positions, adjusting to make the ranges easy to remember, and then a dash of influence considering the potential to exploit those who are at my table. So that's how I would describe it. Uh, maybe I need to develop a phrase uh, to describe that a little bit more, uh, a little more briefly. So I'm open to any suggestions on that. Now, before I get into the details, a couple of quick things to share, including what I consider pretty huge announcements regarding Rec Poker. Um, now, I'm going to be talking about this in more detail later, but just a couple of quick announcements. Uh, first of all, Rec Poker is expanding beyond just this podcast. Uh, you've talked about this and I've listened. I'm launching three new programs and I want to invite you along. Uh, and so again, I'll share details at the end of the show uh, just to avoid bogging down the content. But basically, I'm launching monthly three-hour seminars that will include video from our content partners that's normally only available for sale at a price for a, for a specific subscription. Uh, so for example, in November, I'm planning on showing um, a video, about a 40-minute video uh, from the Solve for Why Academy, as well as a little bit of their uh, Poker Out Loud. Um, I'm also launching a very discounted email coaching service. And finally, I am starting a service to help you track and analyze your tournament results and to get aggregated metrics from others who participate in that as well. So I'll share more about this, but I'm launching those three new things uh, effective immediately. Uh, also, we have a couple of content partners that are on board for for this, uh, Solve for Y Academy with Matt Berkey, uh, Jonathan Little from PokerCoaching.com, and Alex Sutherland and the GTO Range Builder. So all of those folks are giving me access to their content, uh, which I can choose sort of a best of and get some insights and share with you all on the podcast, uh, maybe through video, but also through some of these seminars. So uh, I want to thank those guys, and hopefully we'll have more lined up behind them uh, to do this. And I also want to thank uh, one of our listeners He's a superhero named Brad Olson, and uh, he is responsible for launching a new rec poker training website. So Brad approached me and said, man, I want to help. I love the podcast. How can I help? Uh, it turns out he's a, um, a guru at website uh, building and management, and he is going to be launching this website. And by the time this airs, it should be up and running at recpokertraining.com. And it will have links to the podcast. Uh, it's going to have an opportunity for me to blog in the future. But it's also going to have all the information on all the training stuff that I'm talking about today. Uh, it'll have some endorsements and testimonials. There'll be a lot of great stuff out there. So go check it out, recpokertraining.com. Uh, thanks so much for the effort and generosity, Brad Olson. And also just a reminder that one of the most supportive things that you can do is to get out to iTunes and subscribe, rate, review the podcast, or like specific episodes. You can also financially support all of this stuff that I got rolling for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash recpoker. And the more money we raise, the more stuff that I can produce for you all. And finally, just a, a thanks again to our official sponsor, Running Aces. Uh, they've been with me from the beginning, uh, starting with Jim Lavore. Uh, they believed in this podcast. They believed in my ability to increase the number and quality of recreational players. So thanks to everyone there. 
Okay, sorry for all of that stuff. I normally don't like to bog it down with all that information, but just too many good things going on. So let's look at uh, the starting range. And now, first of all, I know we have a different uh, spectrum of people around that are that are listening to this. So I want to be really clear what I mean by opening hand ranges. Uh, for this, what I'm talking about is hands that I will open with, meaning I will be the first one to put voluntarily... Uh, to voluntarily put chips into the pot. And I'm assuming that this first action of mine will be a raise, not a limp. Uh, so we'll talk about limping strategies in a future episode. But uh, these hand ranges are not addressing what to do when there's any action in front of me, if anybody has limped or if there's been a raise. This is specifically talking about when I'm the first one to act or it has been folded to me pre-flop with no action. So that is what I mean by my opening hand ranges. Okay, so as I mentioned in the start of the episode, my opening hand ranges are for the first phase of a tournament. Uh, and even these have been constructed mostly from uh, research that players have done around the expected value of certain hands from different positions historically. Uh, it's been informed by GTO perspectives. Uh, I've geared it down toward a more low volatility first stage, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, I've hinted a little bit at my comfort level in different positions and used that to make some slight adjustments. And I've also adjusted to try to make the ranges easy to remember uh, so that I can implement them uh, more easily than some complex set of, of hand ranges. And finally, considered a little bit about how to exploit uh, the tables that I generally play at in these lower stake tournaments. So if I look at all of that stuff, uh, I considered um, um, all of these sources from multiple perspectives, but I'm really focusing on phase one of a tournament. And this is what Matt Hunt calls the preservation stage. Uh, he, he talks about that in the Sulphur Y Academy video that we're going, going to be watching in the seminars in November. He breaks it down into six different stages. And phase one, he refers to as the preservation stage. Um, and so rather than thinking about these are the ranges I'm going to play with a certain number of big blinds, I'm now thinking about this. these are the ranges I'm going to play in phase one of the tournament. Uh, these are often, you know, sort of coincide the number of big blinds and the phase, but it's easier for me to remember to just think, okay, what phase are we in? And then what are my default opening hand ranges for this phase? And as I mentioned, um, I wanted to make this pretty easy to remember, so I decided to be a little bit uh, creative uh, in how I thought about this. Uh, I didn't want to have to remember different ranges for every position or every group of positions uh, if we were six-handed or eight-handed or ten-handed, even though I know that those ranges need to be different. So as I thought about this, I realized that how the number of people impacts hand ranges is really about how many people are potentially left to act, which means you could look at this in two ways. Traditionally, I have thought that under-the-gun six-handed is quite different than under-the-gun ten-handed, and it is because of the probability that someone can wake up with a big hand when I'm under the gun 10-handed or having nine players who still haven't acted is much more significant than six-handed, uh, having five players left to act. So, so consider this. There is a 61% chance that at least one of the remaining players will have a top 10% hand when you are under the gun 10-handed. When you're six-handed, this drops to only 40%. The probability of at least one player having a top 5% hand 
dropped from 37% to 23%, and the probability of at least one player having a premium hand, pocket queens, kings, or aces, or ace-king or ace-queen suited, which is about 3% of the hands, this drops from 23% to 14%. Now, these numbers tell me a couple of things. In both cases, there is significant chance someone will wake up with a real hand. And if I'm opening too wide, there's a great chance someone will have a better hand than me. But it also tells me that the number of players left to act is what is critical here. There's not something inherently mystical about being under the gun. It's really about the number of players left to act. And so following that logic, then under the gun nine-handed is the same as under the gun plus one ten-handed. And under the gun six-handed is the same as the low jack ten-handed. So what I set out to do was to determine my opening hand ranges that didn't have to adjust for the total number of players at the table, but instead were simply based on the total number of players left to act behind me. Now this could change when we're at a final table, but remember we are still constructing my opening hand ranges for the first phase of the tournament, the preservation phase. Uh, For those of you who play Running Aces weekly tournaments, I think the preservation phase generally applies in the daily tournaments up until the ante start to kick in at the 100, 300, 600 level. I think at that point we enter the next phase of the tournament. But I think for preservation purposes, that's about the, the time when that phase ends. So here is where I landed and what I'm currently using during this preservation phase. First, I'm considering only three categories of hands, pocket pairs, suited cards, and unsuited cards. For ease, I've eliminated categories such as suited connectors, suited gappers, and suited aces. Not that I'll never play those, but these are actually embedded in these other categories, and for simplification in remembering my ranges, I've streamlined it a bit. So for the non-paired cards, both suited and offsuit, I'm using a process where both cards must be a certain rank or higher. So, for example, if I say suited 10 plus, what I mean by that is that the cards are suited and they are both a 10 or higher. So this would include ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, ace-10, king-queen, king-jack, king-10, queen-jack, queen-10, and jack-10. Or if I say offsuit jack or higher, that would be offsuit ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, king-queen, king-jack, and queen-jack. Okay, so that's what I mean by those. So we got three categories of hands. Pairs, suited cards, something or higher, and unsuited, offsuit cards, something or higher. So the simple strategy is this. Starting with the button, the pairs that I would open with are, are twos or higher. So any pairs, twos or higher. And then those will increase by one every position away from the button. So the cutoff would be pairs threes or higher, high jack, fours or higher, lows jack, fives or higher. And the highest that this would get would be under the gun at a 10-handed table where I would only open pairs nine or higher. Now for suited cards, I will open those that are always three ranks higher than the pairs that I open with. So on the button, I'm opening pairs twos or higher. So I will also open suited cards that are both five or higher. So this would include six, five suited, seven, five suited, jack, eight suited, king, six suited, ace, five suited, etc. All of these are suited cards where the lowest one is a five. 
Now let's say I'm in a spot where I would only open pairs sixes or higher. Then I would also open suited cards that are both nine or higher, three more. So this would include 10-9 suited, king-jack suited, ace-10 suited, etc. The tightest range here would be under the gun, 10-handed, where I'm only opening nines or better as far as pairs go. So here, three higher than that, 10-jack-queen, I would only open suited cards that are both queen or higher. So I am only opening ace-king, ace-queen, and king-queen suited under the gun. Everything else, I am pitching. Now finally, consider offsuit cards. I will open those that are at least one rank higher than the suited cards in that spot. But I do put a minimum threshold on offsuit cards where they have to be at least 10 or higher. So consider on the button, I'm opening pairs, twos are better, then suited cards, at least five or higher, and unsuited cards, at least 10 or higher. The logic would say six or higher, but remember, I have a minimum threshold for offsuit of 10 or higher. Now, let's say we're in a spot where we're opening pairs that are pocket fives or better. So then we'd open suited eights or better, and then offsuit still 10 or better. But now let's say we're opening pairs, pocket sevens and higher. So then we're opening suited cards that are both 10 or higher. And here we would open offsuit cards that are both jack or higher. So ace-king, ace-queen, ace-jack, king-queen, king-jack, and queen-jack. The tightest range for offsuit cards would be under the gun, 10-handed. And here I would be opening pairs, nines or higher. I'd be opening suited cards, both queen or higher. And offsuit would be only ace-king. So under the gun, 10-handed, I'm throwing away ace-queen offsuit. Now remember, this is a default range, and against certain tables, it may be a profitable play, but my default is to pitch ace-queen, ace-jack, king-queen offsuit under the gun at a full tournament table. So basically, that's it. Before a hand is dealt during the preservation phase of a tournament, I can quickly locate the button and then count from there, starting with two, to get to what my minimum pair is that I will open. I then add three to get to my suited lower limit, and then add another one to get to offsuit limit, subject to 10 minimum. And that's it. So for example, if I'm under the gun plus one at a nine-handed table, I look at the button and I think two, and then count up for each player, three, four, five, six, seven. So immediately I know that I'm going to open pocket sevens and higher, suited cards both 10 or higher, and offsuit cards both jack or higher. That's how I'm working my preflop ranges in phase one. So how does this translate to frequencies? Uh, normally people think about frequencies starting with under the gun and going to the button, but since we're determining our open range by starting on the button and then going the other direction, let's look at the frequencies doing that. In this situation, when it's folded to me, there's no other action in front of me, I would be raising the button 29% of the time, the cutoff 25%, hijack 23%, the low jack 20%, under the gun, seven-handed, 18%. Under the gun, eight-handed, 12%. Under the gun, nine-handed, 8%. And then under the gun, 10-handed, 4.5%. So I'm, I'm opening anywhere between 4.5% if I'm under the gun, 10-handed, all the way through 29% on the button. And now this is a much more linear increase than what others seem to promote. And I, and I get that mathematically. Uh, they tend to have more of a curve to it. 
but recall that this is for the initial phase, the preservation phase of the tournament. And frankly, we should be looking to reduce our volatility. And that is one of the factors that's driven me to reduce my button opening range to less than 30% of the time when a pot is unopened. And this is pretty new for me. I used to open pretty much every button when it was folded to me, but I've learned now in the early stages of a tournament that this tends to be a play that gets me in more trouble than anything. I end up winning a very small pot or losing a medium to a large pot. So this has caused me to be much more selective during this initial first phase when I'm trying to lower the volatility. So that's going to be it uh, for today. I wanted just to share my strategy, but what's going to happen now is uh, next week I'm going to actually look at how this compares to a number of the pros uh, that have put their information out there. I'm going to be looking at uh, Sky Matsuhashi, who uses Ed Miller's frequencies, uh, Chris Fox Wallace, Hunter Sitchi, Doug Hall, and others as well. And if you have any other ideas on who I should be comparing this to, please send them to me. And you can also send me your hand ranges if you want to compare and give me some ideas on how this could be tweaked. Um, so I've looked at this already as part of my analysis, but I want to share some of the differences. And I do want to invite you to help me figure out some of the shortcomings or potential enhancements with my ranges. So uh, looking for you all to join me in that deal. Um, you know, let me know how this compares to your range. Let me know uh, where you think I can make some improvements. I'm certainly not claiming to have all the answers, but I am glad to have at least settled on something that feels like a good starting point and it's easy to implement uh, as well. So please email me, stevefredland at gmail.com, Twitter at RecPoker, Facebook Rec Poker Group, uh, or even send me an audio clip or leave me a voicemail. Uh, I see this as a starting point that I've settled on, but now it's time to tweak to optimize. Um, so in addition to comparing this with others next week, uh, we're also going to move on to start looking at more preflop ranges, like maybe what do we do in response to three bets, or what do we do if there's action in front of us, either limpers or razors. Uh, but that is it for today. Uh, and now I do want to share some more details on the programs that I introduced uh, earlier in the show. Uh, first of all, please remember that we just launched our new website. Uh, thanks again to Brad Olson recpokertraining.com and we are still tweaking it and building it out but please go out there uh, listen to the podcast uh, look at the information and let me know if you see anything that uh, looks like it needs to be improved or enhanced in some sort of way so as far as the programs that we're launching again launching monthly training seminars some email coaching and some tracking and analytics stuff first of all uh, I have created a three-hour learning seminar, which will include a video from one of my content partners uh, and then some structured discussion among all the participants. So for November, the video content will be from the Solve for Why Academy. And as I mentioned, it's a 40-minute video called The Anatomy of an MTT led by Matt Hunt. And I have watched the video and it is great. Uh, it talks about the different stages of a multi-table tournament and things that should be considered at each phase. Uh, we look at things like uh, volatility implications, ICM implications, and your future uh, skill edge and how those should uh, work together to impact how you play in the different phases of the tournament. Now, these sessions are going to be offered at least three times in November in different locations. Right now, what we have planned is Saturday, November 10th from 2 to 5 p.m. in Eden Prairie. That later that evening, Saturday, November 10th from 7 to 10 p.m. in North Branch. And then Saturday, November 17th from 7 to 10 p.m. in Big Lake. 
and I may add other locations depending on interest. And if this is something you want to do, please reach out, talk to me. Uh, the demand for this is certainly going to drive the seminar locations and the dates going forward. And also, if you have at least 10 people and you want me to come and lead this seminar for your private group, uh, happy to look into that as well. Uh, the cost for all of these, uh, whether it's private or whether it's public, is $40 per person. That includes the three-hour seminar, the video content, uh, also access to a shared document so that you can continue the discussion beyond the seminar. And this document is going to be available to everyone who went through the seminar, so you can actually uh, interact with people from other sessions and kind of get their thoughts. Uh, I am going to be setting a maximum number of participants at each session to make sure that the conversation is as rich as possible and allows an opportunity to hear from everyone and build relationships. Reservations are strongly encouraged, uh, and if you prepay, uh, that will reserve your seat. So check all of that out. Let me know if you have any questions, and it'll also be out on recpokertraining.com. Now, secondly, I'm also launching an email coaching service. Now, I'm not at the level of the coaches that are charging $300 to $800 per hour, uh, but I do think I can definitely help you think through a number of things about your game and help you grow from where you are to the next level. So this service would give you unlimited email access to me for thoughts on hands, concepts, or whatever, and I'm happy to share all of my thoughts. I'm happy to direct you to other resources. I'm happy to ask questions to help you clarify your thinking. Uh, and this email coaching uh, I'm going to make available very cheaply, uh, $75 for a month, and I will have discounts uh, if you do decide to pay quarterly or annually in advance. Now, finally, uh, as many of you know, I have a robust history in analytics uh, from actuarial. I'm a, I'm a fellow of the Society of Actuaries. I've also led and uh, started capital market hedging programs and workforce or HR analytics programs. I also have a ton of experience using data to make decisions, including starting and leading a nonprofit, a ton of leadership roles, leveraging my MBA education, and so on. And so this is a, something that I do and I love to do. And I am offering the service to those of you who could benefit from, from having someone just, first of all, keep track of your tournament results, uh, but also provide you with insights and analysis on those results and help you understand them in the context of a broader set of results. So I would give you a template to keep track of your tournaments, which you would then send me each month. And then at the end of, end of every month, every quarter and year, I would send you results and insights for both you and the collective group of people that are using the service. So the cost for this service is $150 for a year. If you sign up before November 30th of this year, you will get the service for free the rest of this year. And then you'll also have the opportunity to submit any historical data with no charge for uploading that. So a lot of information. If you want any more information about the training seminars, the email coaching, or the tracking and analytics piece, feel free to connect with me and we can chat about that. Uh, also, reminder, check out recpokertraining.com. I also want to thank uh, Matt Berkey, Jonathan Little, Alex Sutherland, and all of the others out there who are engaging with me in potentially being content providers and partners. Uh, so much appreciate that. And also thanks again to our official sponsor, Running Aces. A reminder, please, like, comment, rate, review, subscribe. Tell others um, about, about us through iTunes and other means. Uh, you can support us at patreon.com slash recpoker for as little as $1 a month. Uh, help us keep doing what we're doing and maybe add some more things. 
Uh, if you want to wear a patch, let me know. If you want a hat, shirt, sweatshirt, go to flopthe.world.com slash recpoker. And please leave any feedback on Facebook, Twitter, or email me, stevefredland at gmail.com. So that is everything for today. Quite the 100th episode. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback on my default hand ranges for phase one. And next week we'll look at more, more about that. 